Welcome to Consumed, the podcast about people who eat things, drink things, think things, and make things. So, you know, everybody. I'm Jamie Lewis, and this seventh season, I speak with folks across California, from Chico to Santa Barbara, Humboldt and Grass Valley to Los Angeles. But always at the heart of it is the Central Coast. I hope you get to hear them all. Thank you for listening. Many thanks to my friend, James Onaveros for supporting the work of this podcast. James is the force behind the family of wines known as Rancho de Anaveros in the Santa Maria Valley. And because all of our friends in the food and drink industry need a boost right now, I'm going to talk about how you can get your hands on some of his wine this winter. For the holidays, wine is the perfect locally made, handmade gift that directly supports those who work to produce it. And for January 1st and beyond, Drinking beautiful Burgundy-inspired Chardonnay and Pinot Noir is the perfect way to celebrate what we're all hoping is a kinder and gentler year. Visit the website for information on how to order Rancho Steanaveros wines, which can be shipped or delivered to your porch for free if you live around Santa Barbara County. To see what's available and to make your order, visit ranchosteanaveros.com. Cheers! Consumed is also sponsored in part by Slow Life Magazine, which has been sharing the stories of the San Luis Obispo community for over a decade. I write the food column for Slow Life, and most recently I covered dishes made from ingredients that aren't always common here on the Central Coast. I'm considering writing about Bao's steamed buns for the next column, but what do you think? Hit me up on the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com with your ideas for what to cover next. And if you want Slow Life Magazine delivered to your door every other month, visit slowlifemagazine.com. Abe Stevens and Courtney Stevens are the owners of Humboldt Distillery in Humboldt County, California, but they weren't always distillers. Abe started as a biochemist and Courtney studied English and fiction writing. Their divergent but complementary skills have made them good partners in life and in business. Humboldt Distillery is best known for its organic vodka, which is the best-selling organic vodka in California. Here where I live in San Luis Obispo, I can find it at Albertsons supermarkets and CVS pharmacies, as well as other specialty retailers. During our discussion, I learned about their love for Humboldt, their vodka flavored by hemp seed called Humboldt's Finest, and how Abe's background as a biochemist and poker tournament player led to a life in spirits. Also, we chatted about the Stevens' favorite cocktails to make with Humboldt Distillery Vodka. Check their episode page at letsgetconsumed.com for the hemp highball recipe made with jasmine tea simple syrup. Okay, please enjoy my talk with Abe and Courtney Stevens. Well, Abe Stevens and Courtney Stevens, thank you so much for for getting on the on the computer and talking to me on a Friday afternoon. Sure, yeah. Thank you for having us. Yep. Thank you. Of course. So we said a little earlier before I pushed record that you are actually both on separate Zoom accounts right now talking to me. And so, Abe, I think you said you're working at home today. That's right. Okay. And Courtney's actually at the distillery. Yep. Okay. Yep. So why yep. split up like that? Does that have something to do with your like the, your different um, realms of responsibility at the distillery? Oh, I don't know. Not necessarily. I think, well, Fridays are generally, uh, at least for for me, more of a catching up on the computer work day. Yeah. Monday through Thursdays are our production days. And um, I think Courtney likes having her workstation at the distillery. 
my workstation at home is probably generally more comfortable than mine at the distillery when I know I'm going to be on the computer all day. Yes. Um, also, our daughter, um, she, uh, you know, she's in elementary school and she's uh, home, you know, during the day, yeah. you know, quite a bit. So. How old's your daughter? Nice for, she is 10 going on 10. 11. <laughs> There's a little moment there like she <laughs> is. <laughs> yep. 10 going on 11. I have a 10-year-old going on 11. Uh, born in 2010? 2009. 2009, okay. Yeah, fifth grade right now yep. is, um, it's weird from home. Yeah. yeah. Well, up here, she does go to school for three hours, or from eight, four hours, from 8.30 to 12.30. Mm-hmm. Um, but she stays with one group of kids for the entire time yes. and doesn't eat lunch until she gets home. Wow. So they're doing kind of the best and up here in Humboldt County um, are we're in the yellow tier if you will yeah. so um, infection rate isn't quite as high yeah. as well and that kind of speaks to your not just your brand but about um, well yeah I guess about your brand because Humboldt County a lot of people think of it as kind of remote and really unspoiled and so you know for infection rates to be high, I mean, just about everybody would have to have it, right? So, so talk to me a little bit about your affection for Humboldt County, why you chose to start your business there. Sure. Um, well, it's and it's obviously important to us. You know, as you can see from the name on our bottles, um, you know, we kind of adopted the Humboldt name in our own brand. You know, Humboldt Distillery, like partly because you know we're proud of the area and. Um, you know, just as you mentioned, it is kind of uh, a remote part of the state. It's also, you know, really pretty and, you know, not only the coast, but the redwoods and inland mountains and rivers and a lot of natural amenities and beauty, uh, not a ton of jobs. So yeah. um, creating the distillery was kind of an opportunity to, to move back to Humboldt and create our own jobs in the process. Mm. And you're from there. Right? Uh, I am. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Courtney's and, from Courtney's from Iowa. Okay. And um, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, I mean, it's a yeah, really pretty area, good place to raise a kid, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and yeah, you know, we're we're proud of it. You know, it's you know, it's got it's a it's got its pros and cons, just like anywhere. Yeah. Um, but uh, in our opinion, those uh, the pros, you know far outweigh the cons. Yeah. And it, especially now, I think it's been really nice in this COVID life we're living where we can enjoy like a, the coastline and no one else will be there. You know, mm-hmm. we you can just drive 20 minutes and you're there and, you know, it feels great. Yeah. And um, likewise with the Redwoods, you know, you can just go on a run without seeing, you know, maybe you pass a couple people, but it's, you know, at a distance and everything here is accessible and free, you know? Yeah. Untouched California coastline is a thing of the past, really. So yeah, you get to experience that one little bit of it that's accessible there. Um, Courtney, you're not my only Iowan on this season. Um, I have another, I have a chef out of Grass Valley who is from Iowa. And uh, we talked about something I'd never heard of before, which is a pork tenderloin sandwich, which is apparently a very big deal. 
Yeah, um, I, um, I, I've never known it to be singularly Iowan, but certainly pork and pork tenderloins are a huge thing. You know, it's like the other red meat, you know, or not, not that it's not, but it's a, certainly a super popular um, meat in Iowa. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's quite the Iowa thing to go to the state fair. And at the state fair, you know, pork tenderloin is kind of a must have yeah. while, while you're there. And if you're there in an election year or like a presidential election year, you, you're almost bound to run into some, uh, you know, some potential, uh, you know, people running for the whatever presidential primaries. And like digging into pork tenderloin, right? Yeah. <laughs> Kissing babies. Yeah. yeah. Eating corn. Yep. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like you both had kind of quiet upbringings. Would you say that? Sure. I guess that's, you know, a fairly accurate assumption. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, as far as, you know, I think where we grew up, you know, in relatively quiet areas. And um, I mean, we have, you know, we have moved around quite a bit. You know, we've lived in, you know, I mean, we, we, we met in, in Chicago in, at college and, um, you know, lived in New York City for a while and San Francisco Bay Area and, um, you know, and uh, we lived in Iowa for, for a while prior to starting the distillery. So we've been around. We've kind of uh, gotten our fill of uh, um, a range of lifestyles and living environments. Yeah. And would you say you're um, I did know that you had traveled and, and lived in other cities. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have a preference for one over the other? Oh, well, I'd say, well, my personal preference, you know, is would be Humboldt County, which mm -hmm. is kind of like why we ultimately ended up here. But, um, you know, you, I mean, you do sometimes miss some of the big city life, you know, kind of uh, just the culture and dining and culinary opportunities and just, just, just the just the diversity that comes with any city you know like whether it's like in the art museums they offer or um just the population diversity the food diversity yeah yeah, yeah. and even just the, the density too the, the density of people too is you know kind of you know something that has its own kind of additional element that you know it's hard to get when you're in a less populated area. For sure. For sure. But I bet it's a lot easier to do your business where you are than if you were in a city. I mean, you may not be able to do it at all. Tell me a little bit about, um, tell me about, you know, for both of you, one growing up in Humboldt County, one of you growing up in I I mean, what were you like as kids? Well, um, I think I was, uh, I don't know. I mean, I was probably somewhat, you know, I don't know, a quiet kid, maybe. Um, I was into catching frogs and lizards and always look forward to going to going camping every year. And, um, you know, over time kind of, you know, developed an interest in science and, um, I don't know, a lot of typical American kid stuff, video games and riding bikes and did you live on a, in a place where you could go play outside and like get your feet wet and get muddy and that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. um, I we lived. I went to elementary school in the Bay Area, in the suburban suburban East Bay, mm -hmm. um, 
and um and then moved back to humboldt uh you know after like uh seventh grade and uh but in both in both environments we were in an area where there were plenty of outdoor opportunities to get out and kind of go on a splash in the creek or whatever Climate it was tree. that i was up yeah. at the time yeah and what about you courtney oh i was a shy um i think just indoor kid very much like separate from a i think um and in fact, you know, in Iowa, it's like Great Plains. And I had no notion that there were trees that could be this big or, you know, the coast could be so striking um, just growing in the mid, growing up in the Midwest. And it, when it comes to like what I ate for dinner at night with my family or kind of where we went out to eat, it was all very meat and potatoes. And I did not have my first avocado until I was in college, in fact. And um <laughs> to Abe, Abe took me to Humboldt for the first time and it was it was just amazing he had a what was it a 69 or an Impala a red painted what was it, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a classic 1967 Impala yep so we were in college in Chicago and I said you know I'd love to come for spring break and visit you and he picked me up at the San Francisco airport in this cherry red Impala and we um, drove up the coast and I was just my mind was blown and um, it, it was unlike anywhere I'd ever been. Mm -hmm. Just that the trees could be so big and yet the ocean still so close was pretty, pretty remarkable to me. And um, the air is just, it's, it smells so fresh. Um, and I, I wanted to come back. Yep. Yeah. I, what did you think of that avocado when you ate it? They're pretty weird. <laughs> They're like green and slimy. If you really, you know, we right. love them, um, but what was it like yeah. that first time? It was really rich, you know, for what it was. I didn't expect such a rich flavor from a fruit, if you will. Um, but I, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like nature's cheesecake. I mean, it's yeah, just it got really that, that texture. It's really interesting. I can't think of the first time I tasted avocado. I uh, Central Coast, born and raised. Yeah. It was maybe my baby food, to be honest. For sure. Um, did you both... Were you both involved in chemistry at the University of Chicago? No, we're we're very different, I suppose, in our talents and abilities, and it's kind of how we do work here as well. Abe is a biochemist, and he, like, our friends have called him, like, a computer. I mean, he's just very, um, he's very smart. And I, on the other hand, am, was an English major. Um, also very smart. I will not let you get away <laughs> yeah, with that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, um we really do complement one another, you know, like I think in our skills, I think generally speaking, we're strong across the board, but our specialties kind of allow us to excel in different areas. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Um, so you went to University of Chicago for biochemistry. What did you do after that, Abe? Um, I worked in the, the biotech industry. Um, I did kind of uh, pharmaceutical research and development um, I did that in, uh, the, in the San Francisco Bay area for a while. And then, um, Courtney's going to graduate school in New York. And so that I moved out there and worked at another pharmaceutical company there where I started to do a little more, um, a little more kind of process improvement work, just kind of, uh, you know, figuring out how to make things, you know, how to make batches of, you know, products, you know, faster, more efficient or, more cost effective and 
I'm just looking at the, you know, more of like manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's, yeah, it was, I mean, I, it definitely, I think it could have been a pretty good career path. Um, although I kind of got a point, kind of reached a point where I had to make a decision if I wanted to kind of go back to graduate school and complete a PhD, um, which is a big commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you kind of don't take that final step, you kind of will always be working in someone else's laboratory. Hmm. Um, so at least on, on the technical side of things, that's kind of a necessity to like, you know, keep climbing the, the ladder in that, that industry. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know. I think I just wasn't quite ready for it. And I, I kind of got distracted at the time, um, got diverted into, uh, playing poker. Um, I, <laughs> which started off as a hobby and, Kind of over time, I realized that I could make more money playing poker than I could, you know, with chemistry. Seriously, and you're, I, I, did, I thought you were joking at first. You really went into, you You played poker, can you say professionally? I guess yeah, anybody I mean, who plays poker, poker it's Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there are, and, and there are quite a few professional poker players out there that, you know, that's their job. Wow. They will, you know, I mean, it's got to be really tough right now with, with the pandemic because yeah. it's, it's a really intensive in-person um, activity, although uh, there there has been and is currently a pretty big online poker scene, yes. which I never really got into. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's it's one of those. It's it, and, and poker has been legal in California, you know, I think since gold rush times. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, in California, poker has been considered a game of skill, um, whereas games like blackjack and you know roulette are games of chance, and so. You know, and, and you know, these here in California, for a long time, they have just been distinguished as you know, one is. Uh, I mean, they're tech, both technically gambling, but the poker is as was recognized as you know, as a game of skill. And mm-hmm. and there are still quite a few poker rooms throughout, you know, licensed poker clubs throughout right. California that um, that are really successful. There aren't as many of them since any casinos have been opening up in recent years, but mm-hmm. there are still some really big ones that. Um, some of the best poker players in the world play at and um, and even quite a few, you know, just kind of everyday professional poker players, they'll go in and grind away for eight hours a day, five days a week. And, and that's what they do to make a living. So are you telling me that you decided, I want to get this straight. So you, you were in the biochemistry industry. You realized you didn't want to get your PhD because... It would be a ton of work, but that was the only way you could climb the ladder. And so you, you decided you wanted to follow a passion into poker, playing poker. I don't know that I ever thought that this was going to be, a you know, a lifetime career, um, and ultimately it didn't turn out to be that way. Mm. It just was a was something that was fun at the time, and I realized, well, I can do this for the time being. I've kind of proved myself at the hobby level enough that I'm confident I can you know, quit my job and do this and, and I'll figure out what I'm going to do next, you know, eventually. That's the coolest, and, most rock star thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and I have to say like, you know, I was working and I had insurance for us, you know, and so yes. it's, it's always been kind of a balance, yeah. you know, I think in that respect. There's, yeah, there's always more to the story than the, <laughs> the, the, the glamorous just poker pro, you know, Courtney was there to support a lot. And yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, when we but, partner um, up with somebody who has, you know, we support each other that way and it opens yeah. some doors. But I'm glad you had insurance during that time. Yeah, Courtney, <laughs> what, what did you want to say? Just some practical things. But I, I will say that um, it was it was a real trip. You know, like we took a road trip from New York City to California at one point and we stopped in Tunica, Mississippi, where Abe played a tournament. It was one of the first. Um, it was like right after I quit quit my job and Courtney graduated from grad school. And so I was up in the room most of the day and I would go down at a certain time of day knowing that if he had made it that far in the tournament, he he was in a good spot. And he was at the final table and he got, I think at the end of the day, second place. He got $35,000 cash. You know, we were, we were youngins then and it was like, oh, let's take a picture, you know, kind of thing. But uh, so then... Um, that kind of was kind of the start of it all. Um, but if we're like kind of carrying it over to what we're doing now, um, I, I, I think what, Abe, you know, Abe isn't kind of a fly by the seat of his pants, risk taker kind of guy, mm -hmm. but he is a risk taker. I think we both are like any small business owner almost has to be um, just unafraid of risk, but our risk is like very calculated as, as best as you can. And I think that is kind of somewhat borrowed from the poker world and Abe, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this in person, but I also have been, you know, tensions run high sometimes and we all get worked up about certain things in, in business and small business and more than anyone I've ever met in all my experience, Abe keeps, keeps his wits about just calm, even, you know, like, and it's pretty, um, it's, it's pretty interesting to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a benefit to that for sure. Somebody who's unflappable. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's a poker face. I mean, you know, I had to say it. <laughs> it I had to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I don't, I, I, I mean, yeah, people have told me I've got a good poker face and I don't, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess I am pretty, moderate in a lot of things and you know i don't get too worked up about stuff good or bad mm -hmm. um which has its advantages sometimes so you know we'll drop that's back. my job that's my job yeah, yeah your job is um, to get worked up yeah uh, i'll get worked but, up but that was everybody yeah courtney had a good point though that i think yeah just you know giving us the confidence to say hey we're gonna spend all our money just you know throw out a new business venture you know and see what happens you know mm -hmm. it does take i mean you're, you're rolling the dice, you know, in some ways, you know, and, uh, um, and yeah, I think just having that, uh, or, you know, having the experience to take that calculated risk and say, okay, well, you know, the risk is this, but, you know, we've done our homework and, you know, the expected payoff is this and, yeah, you know, and, and if it doesn't work out, then, you know, we can go back to anything else, but fortunately yeah. it has worked out and we've been, really fortunate. Yeah, it's obviously worked out. I'm thinking about how you talked about the difference between a game of chance and a game of skill. And it does have a lot to do with how that risk is, you know, how that how you interface with that risk. Yeah. And I think the more homework you do, the less it is a game of chance, but that's still always in the mix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's there just there's some things are just out of your control. I mean, if we had, you know, did all of our homework and Launch, decide to launch a distillery at the beginning of this year, you know, right. and and then you get throw a curveball of a pandemic, and you know that's just one of those things you just can't plan for. No. You, know, you no matter how much homework you've done or how much experience you may have had, you know, it's just 
something. They're just factors that you can never, you know, that, you know, that you can never really control. Yeah. Or anticipate, right? I mean, to a degree you can, but how many of us were prepared for this? I wasn't. I want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about one of my sponsors. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service. Community-owned Slow Food Co-op buys from local producers, ensuring they offer their customers real and sustainable food. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. It's cool that you have the kind of work that you can do. I mean, I'm sure the pandemic has um, impacted your sales, but it's not like you can't keep producing your... Mm -hmm. And it looks like I looked at your website, it looks like you have a pretty small but dedicated team. So they are probably able to continue yeah. to work. Yeah, no, we've been pretty fortunate. I mean, as far as like craft distilleries go, um, just, you know, just the whole craft spirits industry. I mean, it's really grown a lot in recent years. Yeah. Um, and we haven't, I mean, a lot of them are really dependent on, you know, doing tours and tastings yeah. and, um, and, have really depend on bars and restaurants, you know, just help them, you know, sell their their spirits. I think we we have been fortunate in that we haven't really tried to be much of a destination distillery. Mm-hmm. We we're mostly a manufacturer, so the the, la- the loss of visitors to our facility was really, I mean, hasn't really made any impact on us at all. Mm-hmm. And um, and we have, I mean, the loss of our bar and restaurant customers has definitely been noticeable. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, we, you know, and we're pretty close with quite a few of them and we're really sympathetic with what they're going through. It's, yeah. it's got to be really tough in that whole industry. Um, but for us, um, majority of our sales are in the retail side, you know, wine and spirits stores and grocery stores. And, you know, we even sell our stuff in a few like, uh, you know, uh, chain pharmacies and yes, stuff. Yes, I saw but, that. You're at CVS. You're at multiple CVS um, in yeah, our area. Yeah. Yeah, we're in like 200 and something CVS pharmacies. Yeah. And um, and so fortunately for us, I think, you know, the our retail sales have, have more than made up for the loss of those bar and restaurant sales. Yes. So it's, it you know, we had ambi- really ambitious plans, like try and, you know, really scale up and double or triple and what we're doing over this year. But it's been more just keeping our head above water. And mm-hmm. we feel fortunate that we've, we've been able to do that at least. And you know, we've even added a little bit compared to what we were doing last year. Yes. So. And and you're not the first person to say that it's just the complement of sales has yeah. changed. It's not yeah. so much the numbers as the, you know, the, the ratio of, um, I guess, service to retail is different. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I didn't even ask you. So So talk to me about... How did the interest in distilling come about? At what point? What was your first batch like? And were you? A, did you drink a lot of spirits? Oh, um, well, yeah. I think you know when we were in Iowa, and we go back to Iowa quite a bit. Courtney's family is still there, and um, but there was um, a spirits brand there, Templeton Rye. Oh yeah. Um, they're 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 a 
you know, I think they're owned by a big national brand at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, at the time when they first started off, you know, it was kind of a, it was a novel thing. And, you know, and we just kind of saw what kind of they did from the very beginning, you know, and had all the success they had, you know, and made me realize that, you know, oh, that's actually, that's, you know, actually a viable business opportunity, you know, which is something that I'd always, you know, I'd always kind of wondered about, you know, previously, um, just like so many other people, we, you know, enjoyed craft beer and kind of watched that kind of grow, you know, from our time in college and beyond, you know, and I often wondered, you know, I see all these, you know, new breweries doing all kinds of innovative stuff and, you know, hundreds or who knows, thousands of wineries doing all kinds of interesting wine labels. And, mm. and all I've got is Bacardi and Jim Beam, you know, why isn't there, why is anyone doing something else, you know, for, for the whole cocktail side of uh, um, the industry. And then, um, and then, then we have, you know, we started seeing places like Templeton Rye and, you know, other spirits producers mm-hmm. uh, start actually filling that, that kind of niche and um, yeah. And, saw that they were having some successes and so that oh that that sure seems like a really fun industry and you know and it had been a number of years since i had been working in that pharmaceutical manufacturing environment and i kind of missed it you know i you know i'm a pretty technical kind of guy i like to you know if the toaster breaks you know i like to get out with the tools and yeah. diagnose the problem and fix it and um and so it kind of complemented my my personal interests and skills and with a fun industry and what I, what we perceived as a growing industry with potential. And it's just one of those things that kind of the more homework we did, you know, I went to like some, you know, distilling conferences and really uh, kind of studied up on the industry and just, I don't know that there was ever like a one single point in time where I said, okay, yes, we're, we're you know, we're going to actually do it. It was just kind of a, slow transition of doing homework about this potential business and just eventually that homework turned into actual like business plans and turned into actually an actual business. Mm. And did Um, the, did your, if I'm allowed to ask, did your winnings from poker playing, did that, did you use any of that to start the business? Was that part of the um, plan? There was, I mean, you know, you know, the, the poker playing kind of, you know, I don't know. It, I'm asked, I mean, I would like to play still if I had the opportunity, but in recent years, it just kind of has become less and less of, um, became less of an income source, more as a, of a hobby yeah. that just kind of turned out. And so immediately prior to starting the distillery, um, I was, uh, uh, Courtney was uh, working and I was kind of a stay at home dad for our daughter for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And I did a little bit of real estate uh, on the side. And um, that was uh, kind of during the last housing crash. And there were a lot of kind of like home flipping opportunities yeah. to to do that I could kind of do, you know, at my own pace. But so, but definitely Courtney's income and uh, the poker winnings definitely helped finance that kind of real estate uh those real estate investments, which in turn kind of grew to the point that it, you know, financed a yeah. new business startup. How cool so. is that? That's so cool. One domino pushes another, pushes another. Yep. And in the meantime, Courtney, so you went to grad school in New York City. What did you study there? Um, so I just studied fiction writing at Sarah Lawrence, um, which is, um, I, I don't, 
I'm not published or anything, but um, it was it was a good experience. Yeah. Um, and then um, and then I, I I worked in I went to commercial real estate of all things, oh. and I was in um, real estate development for a while before we came here. Yep. So, but I've done everything. In fact, I um, right out of college in your neck of the woods, I suppose maybe more. I I taught at a boarding school in Los Olivos. Um, you at the is, Dunn School. Yeah, it was a great experience and yeah so I really in terms of my professional career I've I've run the gamut you know yeah yeah Yeah, it does sound like you together have a lot of different experience and you sound like tinkerers which is exactly who should own a a distillery so tell me both of you what was if you're open to telling me what's the first time you tasted let's say vodka because that's what you that's the backbone of your brand really yeah well, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't actually recall my first vodka experience, but I I know it was, well, I would assume it was in college. I mean, there's a chance I might have had a, a taste of something in high school, but, um, but yeah, I, don't, I would assume probably some sort of spiked punch somewhere at some, yeah. you know, some dorm room or house party or something. Right. And, uh, um, I don't know. I, I'm trying. Th- I'm trying to think. It's, it was a long time ago. Courtney yeah. is smiling so yeah. big on the other screen. Well, and you, I, I kind of, when you ask this question, I wonder, you know, how to answer a little bit. But um, what's what's <laughs> right? Um, but I think you know, like um, in college, I suppose. But there was my first after I turned, you know, my first experience at a bar was. Um, with my friend and she would always order a gin and tonic and I would get a vodka tonic. And that was kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I definitely recall Courtney drinking more vodka than me, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day, you know, cause he yeah, had during, you know, even in college, yeah, I would generally go for a beer and yeah, Courtney would get some sort of vodka drink. Yeah. 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 Well, so the, the most important part of what goes into your spirits is water. I know. Um, what is the percentage, uh, the makeup of it, of the vodka? Oh, so, I mean, our vodka, as are most vodkas, it's 80 proof. And so that means it's 40% alcohol, 60% water. Okay. And, um, and that's, I think, a, you know, I, that's a, for vodka, vodka is, you know, by law, neutral spirit. Um, although actually just recently the TTV agency that regulates us has kind of loosened that rule. Um, where it was previously expected to be odorless and flavorless. I think there's maybe a little more gray area on that currently. Really? But um, huh. in the, but in any case, it's still ultimately the expectation is that vodka should be relatively neutral mm-hmm. um, and, um, and distilled to such a high proof that it doesn't really have much of the character from the, the, the raw material it came from. And um, so anyway, so long story short, yeah, the, 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 the other component, the water, is is a you know just as important, you know, or maybe more important than the alcohol itself. I mean, you want the alcohol to be really pure so that it's you know smooth and doesn't you know have too much of that harsh burning character. Um, but the water can definitely add character and flavor and mouthfeel. I mean, if you just can even think about just tap water at various you know you know areas throughout the state or throughout the country, you you know. You, may have noticed that you know different waters have different tastes and 
those can you know translate into the spirit that you're you're making it with yes um, for sure with um vodka i didn't realize until i started getting into wine and spirits I had no idea that it was really measured by how neutral it is. Whereas other things like, say, brandy or whiskey, they have other inputs, you know, whether that's barrel aging or a Solera for sherry, or there's Mm -hmm. lots of different ways that things can gain their flavor. But vodka is the only one I know of that is meant to be completely neutral which is very different from anything else. So I guess when you're making it and you talk about purity, how do you measure that with vodka? Well, I mean, it is it is really subjective. I mean, there isn't really a number you can put on purity. I mean, I'm sure you can do some sort of chemical analysis and say, okay, it has less than X percent of, you know, you pick whatever acetaldehyde or some other like impurity that, you know, you that may, you may get from the distilling process, the fermentation and or distilling process. Um, but ultimately it's just kind of a subjective thing that, you know, maybe you taste a bunch of vodka side by side um, that you'll just see that some kind of taste cleaner or smoother mm-hmm. or, you know, not have any weird aftertaste or, or maybe it has a pleasant aftertaste. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's just, yeah, it's easy, easiest to just try rather than trying to quantify it yeah. with some, some measurement and um but yeah it is i mean vodka is a unique in that among other spirits types and that that is the definition by definition vodka has to be pure and the the government has specified has to be distilled to at least 190 proof um which is you know the more you distill it you know the higher the proof you distill it to the more it becomes just pure alcohol Mm -hmm. with less of the impurities that would give it flavor or character otherwise so it's the all the other spirits, you know, whiskey, brandy, um, gin, rum. They all. I mean, they all. What defines is what defines them is what they're made from. I mean, whiskey has to be distilled from grain. Rum, rum has to be distilled from sugarcane. Brandy has to be distilled from fruit. You know, uh, tequila has to be distilled from agave. Mm-hmm. And but vodka doesn't matter what it's made from. It can be made from all of those, and it is made from all of those. You know, there are vodkas made from fruit, you know, sugarcane like us, um, with potatoes, which is traditional in Poland and Russia. Um, and but, but the vast majority of vodkas are made from grain, you know, mostly corn. Mm-hmm. And um, but you say, okay, well, what's the difference between a corn-based vodka and bourbon or corn whiskey? You know, or in our case, you know, what's the difference between a sugarcane-based vodka and a rum? And the difference is that it's distilled to at least 190 proof or higher so that you've distilled it to a level where it should be pure enough that doesn't have much, if any, of the character from the, the kind of raw material that went into it. Right. So, so for instance, if we distilled it less than 190 proof, it would be rum. More than 190, it becomes vodka. You know, just like with corn, like, you know, say, then, you know, really some really popular vodka brands, you know, are generally made from corn. And that's the difference—the difference between them becoming corn whiskey or vodka. That's fascinating. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, it feels a little bit like magic—the fact that something can be distilled down that way. And I don't think most yeah. people understand what distillation, what that process is. Yeah. Um, well, that, it's—I mean, it's pretty. I mean, the process itself is pretty straightforward. 
basically alcohol boils at a lower temperature than water does. So it's a little much more volatile, has more fumes than water. So if you have a mixture of water and alcohol, which is what you have with when you make a beer or a wine, which is what we do for when we're making a distilled spirit, we have the yeast eats the sugar um, and like say a grape or a grain or sugar, actual sugar cane, converts the sugar to alcohol and you end up with something that's like a beer or a wine. You know, it's watery, but has some alcohol content. And then, but you take that and then you heat it up to a boil. And what happens is all the alcohol fumes boil off and the water stays behind. And so the distillation process is just kept, kept, you know, just catching those alcoholic fumes that you boiled off and then, you know, turning them back into a liquid, you know, condensing them um, into a liquid. And that liquid you capture is the, is the distilled spirit, kind of the concentrated alcohol fumes that you boiled off. And then yeah. Collected as a liquid again. And you use only sugarcane as your base for everything you make? Oh, no. I mean, our vodka is a sugarcane-based vodka, and we do make some, uh, some, a few different styles of rum that are sugarcane-based, but we do make, we make a range of spirits. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have, uh, we have a couple different types of whiskey that we we make. Um, They're not really a big part of our you know, our kind of brand. And your distribution, we, you know, I'm not going to find that yeah. in CVS, right? Okay. No, you know, you're not. Our vodka is our best seller. Yeah. Um, but we do make that. We also have an apple brandy that's going to be, we'll be probably releasing sometime in the coming year. It's a certified organic apple brandy. It's just something that's kind of fun. And, um, you know, it, you know, it's fun to make. And it's, uh, I think it's a fun spirit. It has a you know, long history in the U.S. And yeah. there are really aren't any like big, big brands making it. So, um, we're looking forward to having that, but even that, we will only have a handful of cases that we can that we'll be able to sell, and has a long aging period. It's been aging for a number of years now. Yeah. Um, same as our whiskey. So In fact, fun. We just we just dumped out some whiskey that's uh, between five and six years old that we'll be bottling here in the coming months. Nice. Um, but again, we'll only have uh, we'll maybe get a couple hundred cases of that, and once it's once we sell through that, that'll be kind of the end of that until. We have something else that has done aging. So you plan on just kind of doing it, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say seasonally, but you'll do it sort of ad hoc. like if there's Periodically. Some... Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's just, you know, I mean, we have the distillation equipment. It's it's a fun thing. You know, it's fun to mix it up and do different things. But the, the vodka and uh, um, our organic vodka especially is the one that pays our bills and is the, you know, become kind of our best seller. Yeah. And I have a bottle of that here. Um that one looks like the, that looks like the Humboldt. Oh, pardon spines. me. That's that, right. right. So that one, Sorry. Yeah. So yes. yeah, that's our organic vodka. And in fact, in a world, in the spirits world, as a vodka, you know, we stand among like tons and tons of other, like the sea of vodka, yeah. you know, at any shelf. And we've been really lucky and fortunate um, to get lucky. You know, we talked about that at the beginning so that, um, you know, we started in Humboldt. The local pickup was very swift, and we got into the Costco, and that's super exciting. Um, and then we slowly expanded into, like, you know, south into Northern California and the Bay Area. Um, but we've we've grown to become the best-selling organic vodka in California, wow. which is which is a big deal, um, I think, in in our world where. Or in a world where there's so many competitors, and I think um, 
it's always been important to have a high quality product, but price point is also super important in that as well as obviously the way it um, looks. And I think uh, the Dungeness crab on the label was um, an interesting kind of process that we went through to choose that just because it is so different. But one of our considerations in, in choosing that was like, when you look at a shelf, what is going to make ours stand out from all the rest? This does. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It's beautiful. So. Who did the design on your packaging? Uh, that was a, a graphic designer in, uh, in Emeryville in the East Bay mm -hmm. of uh, San Francisco Bay area. Uh, his name's Tony Austin. It's Austin design. Yeah. Okay. It's just beautiful. And did he do the, um, I love packaging, by the way. I, yeah, he did I, the Hubble Sinus as well. He did. Okay, so yeah. talk to me about the difference between so the um, the organic vodka is really like it's the flagship thing that you make. That's right. Okay, what and just while I'm still there, why did you choose to do organic? Uh, well, I think I mean, you know, I mean, being from Humboldt, we're just we don't take for granted just kind of the natural amenities and beautiful kind of pristine environment that we live in. And I think, I think certified organic is just better for the environment overall. Um, just everything that we goes into it, you know, whether it's the sugarcane or grain or fruit, you know, when they're grown organically, it's done in a sustainable manner, you know, with a lot, without, uh, you know, synthetic uh, fertilizers and pesticides. Mm -hmm. And um, so just the overall environmental impact, um, is in our opinion better when it's done organically yeah. um so i think that was that was pretty much the main the main reason and it doesn't really cost us that much more for the actual raw materials um and some of the some of the stuff we have to do at the distillery you know is maybe a little modified but it's really in, in the end it's not a big um challenge for us and you know if it's not a big big expense or a big uh hassle then it just makes sense that you know why wouldn't we do organic yes exactly yeah um so then the distinction between humboldt's finest and your organic vodka um i know that it has a lot to do with hemp seed being steeped in the yeah yeah so so humboldt is humboldt is, is pretty famous for a few things um i mean I mean, the two the two most thing the two things that Humboldt's most famous for are the redwood trees, you know, Redwood National Forest and Redwood State Park, or I mean, Redwood National Park and, and state parks are just kind of up and down the road from us. And then it's also Humboldt's also known for being a big cannabis, you know, cultivation region. Prior to the legalization of recreational marijuana, you know, Humboldt was kind of a, a pretty top producer in the state, as well as just known for being kind of best quality in the world. Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of kind of argument among all the kind of the cannabis connoisseurs. I was at Amsterdam or is it Humboldt, you know, who's, who's, who's the leader in that. And in any case, it's kind of like the Napa Valley, you know, of, of cannabis. And so as, as I was out selling the organic vodka, um, my role as distiller kind of grew to include traveling salesmen. Um, of course. So as I, as I was out selling the vodka, people would say, oh, you're from Humboldt. When are you going to put some of that, you know, quote unquote, local flavor, you know, in your in your vodka? And, uh, you know, we, it's, you know, we'd have a chuckle about it. But I just heard that over and over again so many times that 
you know, that old saying, the customer's always right, you know, kept coming to mind. So after a number of months or a year or two of kind of experimenting, you know, we came up with the humble finest. And so that is, um, you know, a marijuana infused vodka wouldn't be legal. I wouldn't necessarily condone mixing two, two different drugs into one product anyway. Um, and, um, but so what we did was we used a locally grown um, food grade hemp. Mm -hmm. So hemp is the strain of cannabis that's, you know, grown for, you know, fiber and seed and, um, just, you know, in more industrial and food purposes, whereas, you know, marijuana is obviously grown for, you know, psychoactive properties. Um, but the, the hemp does have, um, a lot of, you know, interesting, uh, herbal characteristics, the aromatic terpenes, those are the volatile oils in the plant. That's what we're trying to capture. And what we're, and what we're trying to capture are the kind of fresh leaf qualities. So, so it doesn't have that kind of that skunky, you know, funky quality people might think of marijuana. It's more of the fresh plant quality that, um, in our opinion, makes it a a really good substitute for gin. And, um, you know, and and really the only reason, I mean, gin is is itself, you know, essentially a a botanically infused vodka. Yes. We're just using a different herb. They're using juniper, we're using hemp. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's uh, the result has been we've been really happy with it. We we won a, uh, a double gold medal at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Hey, nice. It was a you know a pretty prestigious event that we were really happy with. And um, you know prior to the coronavirus, at least um, it was really popular with a lot of kind of uh, craft bartenders and home mixologists, um, just because it's such an innovative, interesting spirit that people can make a lot of kind of uh they can make drinks that they could have made previously because it's got that just unique herbal quality it does and um it does i've i've got it right here um and it i had not considered it like a gin you're absolutely right that it does have the same it's in the same direction as that and i've always actually loved the similarities between cannabis and hops there's a very similar kind of like a green but floral aroma and that totally comes through here it's beautiful yeah yeah, both yeah both hops and cannabis are both part of the same plant family it's like the cannabisia you know they're like i think they're i think they're only two species in that kind of sub i'm not you know i'm not a i'm not a botanist or anything but uh, you know my understanding is that they are really closely related and part of the same plant family and uh, they do share a lot of those same terpenes those volatile oils um it's also kind of somewhat, you know, so does uh, basil um, oh. and um, carrots. I don't know uh, if, you know, sometimes if you crunch into a, a raw carrot, you kind of will get a, a similar kind of um, aromatic quality in your mouth. I don't know. I, I, I've noticed it and it kind of, I just have become more attuned to, to the, those sort of uh, aromatic qualities of different uh, plants and herbs and stuff. For sure. I, and you're more... Um... You're going to be more aware of it, of course. Yeah. 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 So, so anyway, but yeah, it's just, it's just, a, yeah, it's, it's a fun spirit. It's, it just makes a lot of really, really interesting drinks. Yeah. I could see that. Do you have any favorite, um, like what would be your favorite way to use Humboldt's Finest? Would you just, I mean, well, I should be asking Courtney, is it just tonic? Is that pretty much it? Yeah. So what, what we find is like, if we're talking basic, it's like a tonic with a cucumber garnish, actually yeah. it, it, it before I got into this world, I, I didn't recognize 
how garnishes can function. I mean, a lot of times I think they're decorative or the like, but there are some garnishes that just really pull a cocktail to the end and really enhance kind of what the experience just in like tipping the glass back and smelling whatever it is and how that influences the taste in your mouth, um, I think is super interesting. So with finest, I'd suggest um, the finest tonic with uh, cucumber garnish. Um, we also have just this great recipe that is a crowd pleaser wherever we go. And what it does is it um, takes a jasmine um, green tea and we um, make a simple syrup with that, um, just using tea and the tea instead of the water. Um, and then uh, it's Humboldt's finest and soda water and um, a garnish, a cucumber garnish again. And that's super delicious. That's and it has a, splash, has a splash of lemon juice. Oh, yeah. Yep, and a splash. Yep. And that and that's our hemp highball. Okay. And for any of your listeners interested, you can make it go to our website, humblestory.com, <laughs> and find some of these cocktails. Yes, yeah. I saw that, and actually, I think I'll share that um, recipe with our mailing list because that yeah. the jasmine simple syrup sounds gorgeous. That sounds wonderful. Yep. And in these days where everybody's kind of making their cocktails at home. It's it's super easy and kind of something different. A lot of people, I don't think, know how easy a simple syrup can be. And just subs substituting the water with a, a tea kind of goes a long ways. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, I ask everybody um, what they would eat on their last day if they knew that it was their last day. We didn't talk about food at all, but tell me, are you, do either of you cook or do both of you cook? Abe's, Abe's the, Abe's the cook and he's made some delicious, delicious meals. So, uh, but I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I enjoy cooking. It's, uh, it's basically doing chemistry in your home. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and it's the art, uh, it's the art and the science, right? Yeah. Both yeah. of those things. Yeah. I would probably, you know, I don't know. Um, I guess right now I would probably say crab chipino mm. would probably be a dish I would go for. Um, I'm sure that, but that could easily change day to day. Um, but actually my, I was just talking to my daughter about that. Uh, just actually before our, our call now was uh, whether she wanted to go crabbing this weekend since crab season just opened. And uh, that sounds so I, it's on my mind currently. And what would you drink with that? Um, well, I don't know. I think, I mean, a, I mean, if it was crab, if it was just, if it was just kind of crab, like just eating, you know, crab out of the shell, I would probably say a Bloody Mary, mm -hmm. um, which yeah, I think the tomato would pair well with it. Yeah. Well, of course, that's what crab jipino is, which is basically a crab, but uh, you know, or a seafood stew with the tomato-based stew. So in that case. You probably wouldn't want a, a tomato drink with it, yeah. but you could make a really tasty uh, kind of drink with carrot juice instead of tomato, and uh, that that uh, that would be a, a nice savory drink to go with it as well. Yeah. But I think probably because it's such a rich meal at the Chipino, um probably you know probably a, some sort of martini um, would be good. I bet them. these make a mean something martini. a little salty in there, olive or something else. Yeah. Love it. That's a good suggestion. Like a dirty martini. Yeah. Courtney, what would you have? Oops. Um, I would just probably have great cheeseburger and fries. Um, yes. 
Nice. And where do you get your yeah. great cheeseburger and fries? Anywhere you want, Courtney. Um, oh, geez. Um, I might ask Abe to make it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, there's a lot of restaurants with great cheeseburgers. Yeah. Sure. I know we, we sell to a lot of bars and restaurants, you know, we don't want to play favorites and of course. name <laughs> names. Well, all I meant was like, is it fast food or is it homegrown or is it like a big artisanal burger if there is such a thing? And it sounds like you want it from home. Yeah. And medium rare, you know. Although, uh, yeah, sure, you know, sure. I think you know, we have the capability to create a nice burger at home, but making like perfectly cooked fries really requires a fryer at the exact right temperature. And that's a little bit beyond, uh, I mean, that would be a good chemistry experiment, but it, the mess is usually more than we would want to deal with. So that's usually more of a restaurant find. It's totally a restaurant find. I have found though, if you ever have, get your hands on a fryer, dusting the fries in cornstarch to get mm -hmm. the crispy, crispy oh, wow. outside. That's, that's what I've learned, but no, I don't have a fryer. I've done lots of yep. fry test tasting though. <laughs> and Courtney, what are you drinking with that cheeseburger and fries? Oh, just a vodka soda. Love um, it. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday afternoon to talk to me. And we'll be sure to get that recipe out to yeah. the mailing list because I think that's a, a beautiful sounding drink. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. We appreciate you having us. Thanks for tuning in to Consumed, hosted by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. You know, this season marks my 70th interview with California tastemakers, and I continue to feel lucky for getting to speak with so many cool people about flavor. As we move into 2021, please continue to lean into your local independent businesses wherever you are. They will need your support more than ever this winter. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.